John chapter 15 in your Bibles in our little intimate circle. Podcasters, we are at a group table right now doing it just real close and intimate right now. And so I'm excited um, about us being able to sit here together. And I don't know, I like stuff like this. This is my my sentimental side coming out. So uh, I'm enjoying it. So thank you to everyone who's able to um, able to be here. So John chapter 15. I know we just got done with prayer time, but I'm going to pray over the lesson real quick and then we'll get into it. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day and for your son and for sending him to die on the cross for our sins. Father, we pray that you'd use this lesson. Speak to the church the way that you spoke to me, God, and we'll give you all the honor for it all. In Jesus name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. So we are rolling through John. We are rolling, rolling, rolling through John. I mean, we're, we, we covered uh, chapter 14 in just two weeks. Um, and we are going to cover quite a bit of verses today as well in chapter 15. So I'll strap in, man, because this is a busy one. Uh, John chapter 15 and verse one, it says this. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. So Jesus is the vine and the father is the one who takes care of the whole vineyard. Right. And so in this, we see a display of God's position and Jesus Christ's position and a display of their responsibility. Um, it, all, it always overwhelms me that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are all one God. And if you think about it, if they didn't split themselves up in three different uh, components, it would probably confuse a lot of us on what God's all of God's responsibilities or abilities um, actually are because we know that God is comforter. He is uh, convicting agent. He is healing mechanism. He is creator God. He is savior of the world. You know, all these other things. And so I think to help us to not just like be like mine exploded, he had to break it all down for us. And so, uh, but here we see, you know, Jesus is the vine and the father is the husbandman and he's the one who takes care of the vineyard. Uh, that's important. Uh, verse two. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, and it may, that it may bring forth more fruit. So either way, the branch has got to go, right? Uh, but we find out is that they have to go for two different reasons. The first reason is that if the branch doesn't bear fruit, it's removed. Anyone else know another place in the, in the, uh, in the Bible where it talks about something not doing its purpose? Anyone have an idea of another place in Scripture that talks about that? What do you guys think? Fig tree. Right, he cursed the fig tree. And then what about us as Christians, where he talks about that, where he uses something like, for instance, right here it's the branches, but what else do we quote a bunch of times? Sure, right? But I'm thinking about stuff like, you know, you're, you're a light, right? It's set up on a hill that you don't remove, you know, the, hi- the light doesn't hide itself. Or that if the salt has lofted savor, wherewith shall it be salted kind of thing. So same thing applies here. If the branches don't bear their fruit, they're removed, right? And so on the other side, we see that God purges the fruit so that the fruit, so that new fruit can grow. So either way, the branch is getting some attention. Verse three, it says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken Unto you, so we see that the word of the Lord is a cleaning agent, right? Um, remember that this is post Judas, right? He says, One of you guys in here is going to betray me, right? Whoever I dips their hand in this bowl and gets the bread with me and dips sop or what gives sop, whatever you call it, right? And you know, kisses me on my cheek, that's the person who's going to betray me. And the same passage he's talking about, I'm going to wash your feet and then you'll be fully cleansed and all of that. So he says, Hey, uh, the word of God um, is a cleaning agent. There's no evil among them. There's a separation of, uh, of the clean 
and the unclean. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about um, how, you know, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, right? That he might cleanse it with the washing of the water by the what? Who knows the next, the next word, huh? Word, right? He says that he may cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, right? So we know that the word is a cleaning agent. So at this point, he's separating the clean from the unclean. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. You need the vine. You need the vine. It says the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. All right. I'm not going to park there too long. We'll come back to it. Verse five. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth fruit, uh, much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So Christ again reminds us of our position. We are at the lowest part of the totem pole. Right. Who is the least person in a house? It's going to be the baby. Right. Because the baby cannot do anything for himself. The baby demands a lot. Ah, feed me, eh, change me, eh, let me just cry just to be annoying, eh, right? So that's what babies do. And honestly, like, that's a lot about how, who we are. God, do this for me. God, do this for me. Provide this for me. Provide that. And we really don't have anything to offer God that he really needs, right? Uh, but we see here, he kind of reminds us of his, of his position. I'm the vine. You're the branches. You're an extension of me. And because you're an extension of me, you can't do anything by himself. Verse 6. If a man abide not with me, he is cast forth as a, uh, as a branch and is withered. And men gathered them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So Ms. Terrell, a lot like what you were saying before is about that tree being withered, right? Christ cursed that fig tree. Um, but we see again is that reminder that, you know, you're the salt of the earth. You have a purpose. And if you're not doing what you're going to do, don't be so naive to think that God will not remove you from the equation. God has a, what did God tell Elijah when Elijah was worried about the prophets of Baal and Jezebel seeking his life? He said that there is a remnant of people left over that have not bowed the knee to Baal, right? God has, God has saints in reserves, y'all. I mean, people are, I mean, if God tarries, there are going to be millions of people who come after you. God can use, can raise someone up in your place. And so if the branch is not doing what it's going to do, he'll bite those trees outside, y'all. And we're just going to have to (laughs) just (laughs) cut that thing down. And I don't want to be cut down. I don't want to be the one that's cast into the fire. I don't want to be the, the, the light that's, that's hid on the, under the bushel. I don't want to be the salt that's trodden under the foot of men. And I would hope that that would be the case either But for you. But, what's, but what do you need to know for that? He says, man, you got to abide in him. If you don't abide in him, well, then you're cast off. You're cast off. Verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Circle this verse, underline this verse, highlight this verse, memorize this verse, rip it out. Don't do that. I'm just, that's that's, extent, that's ex- excessive. All right, but verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. When you ask God for stuff within his will, you get it. You have not because you ask not. That's true. But what follows that? You, 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 you lust and you desire to have and you, and you ask amiss, right? So that you may consume it upon your lust, right? That's how that follows up. And so he says, if you ask for things in my will, I will give it to you. What does that mean? Is that God says yes a lot more 
when what you ask for lines up with what he has for you as well. And that's why I'm not big on, not even not big, I don't, I don't agree with it at all when people say, you know, speak it into existence. That's not how it works because right. you are not perpetuating your will over God's. Yeah. It's not, that shouldn't be the how that is. You don't, you, don't, you don't speak it into existence. You say, God, is this what you want me to have? God, will, will you show me? Will you direct me? Because I know that if I ask you and let you hold, me, hold my hand, it's going to be complete and incessant yeses. It's just going to be a, a just open door, open door, open door, open door because you allow God to lead. Why? Because you can't do anything apart from him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to ask. Because think about this. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Bible says the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us for the words that we cannot utter. It's the same principle that's being applied here. He says that if you abide in me, right, if you dwell, you rest, you're steadfast in me, right, and, you, and my words are also in you. Well, guess whose words are communicating to me? Mine. Right. I'm going to give you my words. To the, and you may say, that's kind of redundant. Why would God do that? Because it's based on choice. It's the right answer. It's a test sheet. And I'm giving you the, imagine God giving you an open book test. Here you go. If you, you still have to take the test, even though you have the answers, you may say, well, teacher, why did I get a zero? Well, I gave you the answers, but you didn't turn the test in. Right? He says, I'm going to give you all the answers. If you just look, look, listen to this. You just give me these words right here and I got you. And would you believe that that's still too much for us sometimes? Right. Did, would you know that when I taught here at Baptist Temple, I'm the last wave, Miss Terrell. I was the last wave of Baptist Temple. Um, would you believe it that I gave these kids the actual test, Right. As a study guide, I wrote a test, gave them the actual test two weeks in advance. I mean, literally, if you could just look at it like once a day, you got it. I said, all right, I need all of your study guides. And they handed the study guides into me. And then I made them put their backpacks in the, in, in the rest of, you know, in class or whatever. And I, I took those and I put them in a folder. And then I went and gave them the same test back and kids failed. Kids failed. Now, I understand you still might not get an A, but an F, you failed an open book. You, you failed a test that I, you had the answers for for two weeks. And that let me know that even though I gave you the answers, you still did not. You still were not. And it wasn't enough for you. And so many times God says, listen to me, if you abide in me and my words are also in you, then whatever you ask, I'm going to give it to you. You, it, I, you ask and it'll be, it'll be done. Verse eight, herein is my father glorified. That ye bear much fruit, that ye bear much fruit, um, so shall ye be my disciples. So here in verse 8, you know, bearing fruit has a couple of different aspects of it that are important. Number one, when you're bearing fruit, God is glorified from your life. God is glorified from your life. What, is it, what does it show? What's a good indication that someone is right where God wants them to be? The Bible says this, by, your, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Your fruit should be giving God glory, should be bringing God glory. But then also on the second half, it'll, it shows discipleship. It says, hey, by this, they'll know that you're my disciple. They'll know that you are, that you are an extension of me when, you're, when you are bearing fruit, when you're bearing the proper fruit. Verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. All right, so we get that reminder again that love is a what? What do I keep saying? 
A what? An action, right? Love, that's true also, Brother Michael. It's a choice. It's an action. Love's a verb, right? Love's a verb. It's an action verb, right? We see here in verse 9, I'll read it again. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue uh, ye in my love, right? It's extensive that way. Verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, church, love is a what? It's an action, right? It's a verb. It's a, you know, it's making that choice. Those are all action phrases, right? He says, uh, you keep in my commandments, you abide in my love. And even as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, it's like this chain reaction kind of thing. I abide in God's love. You know, you abide in my love and then you show my love to other people. Love is an action. It's an action. Um, Verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy uh, might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Another verse you should underline, circle, highlight, whatever you do. I'll read it again. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, be re- will, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. All right. The purpose of all these things that he was saying before, right? Because what's happening in chapter 15? He's saying, hey, that you are an extension of me. If you are not an extension of me, I can't help you, right? If you're not an extension of the vine, the husbandman will not tend to you. If you are a dead branch, you will be cast out, destroyed. Now, this is not for you to panic. This should not strike fear into you. This should bring you joy that, wow, as long as I abide in God, as long as I am steadfast in his love, I am taken care of. It should bring you joy, right? And he's like, not only that, but... These things have I done because I love you. These things have been done because God loves you. These things should you do because you bestow the same love that I am trying to uh, bestow upon you. It's important for you to know that. Verse 12. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Love is a what, church? It's an action. It's an action. He says the whole, the whole reason that I've done this, most of the reason, well, most of it why I've done this is so that you can dis- demonstrate that love also to each other. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Love thy white neighbor. Love thy black neighbor. Love their fe- thy female neighbor. Love thy heterosexual neighbor. Love thy homosexual neighbor. You love the people who have values that are different from yours because when you love someone, Right, the way that we're supposed to love in Christ, you'll find out that the gospel is non, it's not a respecter of persons. That's right. When I come to you and I come and share the love of Christ to you, it is non contingent upon anything that you have going on. Why is that the case? Because Christ came and died for me knowing that I was trash. My righteousness together is this filthy rag. Like my best day is not even Christ's worst day. Like, there's a 0% chance, (laughs) right? He said, and because of that, I want you to show that same love. And I love it. I was reading in my devotions uh, yesterday, and it was just talking about, um, actually, I was listening in my devotions yesterday, right? But I was listening to my Bible, and and it was just talking about, you know, be kind to other people. Treat people right, right? Don't do evil to other people. Why? Because such were some of you. Man, we have a tendency to forget where we came from. What were, and I want you to answer out loud, but what were you like before Christ? I'll take it a step further. What were you like as a baby in Christ? Because we know that you ain't changed overnight. 
What were you like? And sometimes we can get so pompous and pious and high and mighty and, well, I got my King James Bible, right? And say, well, you know, well, I'm going to smack you with it. It's like, no, no, no. You got to remember that at one point you were that milk Christian. Mm -hmm. At what point you needed to be taught and instructed and to learn before you could be in the position that you are now to teach and, and share the way that you do. Remember that when you deal with people. Because what? Love is a verb. Love is an action. All right? Verse 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Amen. Amen. Verse 14, ye are my friends. If ye do whatever I have, whatever I command you. All right. And so you see that he makes a lot of relationship, a lot of relationship uh, uh, references here. He says, there's nothing greater than a man who lays down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you keep my commandments. You may say, Pastor, that sounds really circumstantial. For him to say that you'll, I mean, I'm only, I'm only your friend if I do what you say. Well, I was just talking with someone today that I, was, uh, that I was counseling. And I was saying friends do different things. I'm the kind of person where if you tell me that you're in the hospital, chances are I'm going to show up. Right? Chances are that I'm going to show up. Because that's the kind of person that I am. We could be, if you thought it was important enough to reach out to me, that means that I need to probably go. But just because if I tell Brother Michael that I'm in the hospital and Brother Michael doesn't come, that does not mean that Brother Michael doesn't love me or doesn't care about me. Different friends have different functions. You have you, you have your inner circle, you have an acquaintanceship circle, you have people that just kind of know you-ish, right, kind of stuff. And so people have different roles or different functions. But he says, hey, the kind of friend that lays down his life for friends are people that do the work for the relationship to work, right? He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Right. Because it's not anymore because the law has con- is condemning you to do it. Now you should be doing it because you love me. Right. You share the gospel because you love me. You 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 dwell with the assembling of ourselves together because you love me. You read the word because you love me. You pray because you love me. You you listen to Christian worship because you love me. You listen to your Bible or you read your Bible or you whatever because you love me. You do those things not because you feel obligated to, but because you love me. And he says, man, you're going to show the love of others. Why? Because in showing the love of others to the love of Christ to others, he says, that's an extension of the love that I share for you. It's important to realize that. So you do. You're my friends. If you do whatever whatsoever, I command you. Verse 15. Henceforth, I call you not servants for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things have I heard of my father, I have made known unto you. You know how it is. Your inner circle and your general friendships don't know all the same information. Right? Right? There may be things that you may say to me, Brother Dominic, that's like, you know, um, you may say, I had a rough day, but... God's good. And that might be all that I get. But Brother Crook might be one of, a closer friend to you. So he may be like, man, I had a rough day at work. Blasey, 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 blah, blah, blah happened, right? Mm-hmm. And so we do that because you know, for one, some people can handle the weight of that a little bit better. And number two, you might be like, I don't want everybody to know my business, right? And so those things, it differentiates that way. Christ says, I don't, not, not only do I just call, not just call you um, that you're not servants, but you're also part of that inner circle of me. Like everything that the father has told me, I have made known unto you. Like me and God, I mean, we're so tight. We're basically the same person. Right. Right. And he's like, well, like everything that everything that God has articulated to me, it has been like a funnel directly to you. 
directly to you, directly to you. Imagine that the God of the universe wants you to be a part of his inner circle. You can't see it, podcasters, but I was using air quotes, right? <laughs> inner circle. Christ wants you to be a part of his inner circle. Uh, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruits should remain. And whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. All right. So again, he kind of outlines again that each and every one of us have a special purpose. Right. He has a special purpose for each and every uh, one of you. And in that, think about this. God has not only ordained you for a specific purpose. Right. But he also has equipped you to bring forth fruit. Like as as you get as you got saved and got engrafted into the vine, you became a branch that was already equipped to be healthy. You were already planted by the springs of water, right, to be able to bring forth uh, fruit and life, right? Like Proverbs chapter 1 or Psalm chapter 1 talks about, right? Planted by the rivers of water and your leaves are automatically green and you're bringing forth the nice fruit, the grapefruit and the grapefruit, not the grapefruit. I mean, if you want to be a grapefruit, you can, but that's your prerogative, right? You have that special purpose. Verse 17. These things... I command you that ye love one another. So church, love is a what? It's an action. It's an action. All right. So we got uh, six takeaways. We got six takeaways. Are you ready? Number one, what is God's position in your life? What is God's position in your life? If you notice the way that God works, he does everything on a hierarchy based system. Right. The first who knows what the first form of government ever was. Anyone know that God created? What was the first form of government? The family. The family, right? And he says, he says you know, uh, 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 I'm the cornerstone, right? I'm the head of the household. It's me. It's God, right? And then in that, he put the husband and the wife and, the, and then the children. But then he goes up and then he creates actually and institutionalizes uh, government as we know it, where he, there's a, a leader of a civilization and they have rules and regulations, right? And then what was the third form of government that God instituted? Family, the actual political side, the government, and there's one more. Who knows? The church, right? He institutes the church where he, God is the head of the church, right? And Christ is the head of the church and he gave himself for it. He institutes a leader, right? And then he, that's the way that he kind of has things going. Uh, but God is the husbandman. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. So my question in this is who is tending to your vineyard? Who is tending to your vineyard? Because last I checked, the branch can't bring forth fruit by itself. And so something, so that means that my grass is not going to grow if I'm not taking care of that grass. You may not know this about me. Fun fact, I love to garden. I don't have a garden, um, but I love it. I don't, something about it is relaxing to me. I get the gloves out and I plant stuff. I haven't been able to do it in a long time, but it's really, that and painting I found out are really relaxing to me. Um, but... That garden is not going to be able to tend to itself unless I tend to it, right? You can't tend to your own garden. God has to be the one. And it's not just from God. It's through Christ that your garden is tend to. You as a branch are dispensable. You understand that, right? You're dispensable. Like in a moment, you can just be snip and you're gone. Hedge clippers, you're gone. You're, you're out of here, man. God has to be the husbandman. And if you can stay rooted and grounded in Christ, 
right? And you say, I'm going to stay attached to this vine and produce proper fruit like I'm supposed to. The husbandman will tend to my life and I will bring forth the fruit I'm supposed to. I will be able to pray and receive the things that I want from God because it lines up with what he wants for me. I don't understand how people cannot pursue an active walk with God because it's a cheat code. It is. I've only been saved 15 years, but I'm saying at the same time, I've seen it where God just works it out over and over and over and over again. This whole situation with Kalea's job is irritating, but I've seen God come through and do what he uh, above and beyond more times than not. That I'm just like, I'm just going to we're watching the office. We're good. You know what I'm saying? God's going to take care of how of what God takes care of. But it only works as if God has the proper position in your life. The Bible says in all things, Christ is to have the what? Who knows the word? The preeminence, right? That first place spot in your life. Get God off the back burner. If God is second place in your life, that's too far down. Mm -hmm. He has to be first. What position is God in your life? Number two, is your branch bearing fruit? Is your branch bearing fruit? The Bible says, by your fruits, ye shall know them. The Bible also says that that a tree is going to produce the the fruit that is relative to that tree. Meaning, an orange tree is not going to produce apples. If an orange tree produces apples, what kind of tree is it? An it's an apple tree, right? You, now, check this out. You either produce one of three things. You produce good fruit, wrong fruit, or no fruit. You hear me? You either produce good fruit, the wrong fruit, or no fruit. Because you're, you're going to either... When, you, when someone says, you know, by your fruit, you shall know them, that's not just good. That's the bad stuff also. But then there are also some people right now that don't have any fruit. Right now, my credit is trash. You know why? It's because there's nothing on it. It's not that it's bad credit. There's not, just nothing on it. And right now, I just, got a secured, I just got a secured card, and I'm trying to build it up now. I'm trying to produce good fruit from the credit, from a credit standpoint, right? You have to check which one of those boxes that you're at because even sitting in this room right now, y'all, in this room right now, we have all three categories. And I don't know everyone's heart, and I don't care to know your heart. That's none of my business, but God knows your heart. And you know where your heart is. I got to ask you because you either producing the good fruit you're either, or you're producing the wrong fruit, right? You're, just not, you're doing it, but you're not doing it right. You're not doing the right stuff, or you're just not active at all. And what happens when the tree is not active at all? Christ cursed that fig tree, and it was done. And it was done. You got to be careful. The only, one of those, the only one of those that is evidence in your life is the relationship to God is going to be the good fruit. It's evidence of your faith. It shows that you're a disciple. It's fruit that should bring God glory, okay? Number three. Has the cleaning agent cleansed you? Has the cleaning agent cleansed you that I might present to the glorious church, holy and without blemish by the washing of the water by the word? Even in here, he says, man, you have been cleansed by my word. Christ cleansed the church by washing it by the water. Has he cleansed you? I love it when we were reading a couple weeks ago about Peter and he walks and he says, man, I'm going to wash your feet. Well, remember, from a historical standpoint, when were you declared clean in someone's house? When your feet were clean, right? Because you're not tracking sand with your dusty Jesus sandals on, right? Your feet are clean. And says, he, so Peter says, well, then wash all of me. He says, man, I don't got to wash all of you. If I can just wash this one part, right? It was, it was a representative of being declared clean. I don't need to clean all of you. This is enough, right? And so has he cleansed you? 
If it hasn't happened now, it will. Because as we find out, just as God, just as God will cast off the dead branches, just as those trees that are not producing any fruit will be destroyed, just as the salt that is not producing its sa- not keeping its savory gets cast off, just like the light that is not shining gets hid under the bushel, God sorts through and removes the counterfeit. He removes the wheat from the tares. He removes the goat from the sheep. And you have to be really, really careful. Because God is not above removing you from your position and putting someone else in your place. And I would hate for that to happen. I so desperately want to get to heaven and hear God say, Zave, you're here. Give me a hug. Bring it in. I know you're a hugger, X. Come on in. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to get to heaven and be like, (laughs) open my eyes and be like, yo, I'm here already? My heavenly Apple watch on trying to be like, is this time, is time right? Did it ever happen to you get woken up out of your sleep? Or you wake up out of your sleep in the middle of the night and you're like looking at your watch. You're like looking at your phone like it's just not registering to you. I want to be able to have crowns and say, Jesus, here, why are you proud of me? I want that heavenly gold star to go on the heavenly fridge where the man is at. Chick-fil-A's in that fridge, y'all. I'm convinced. <laughs> I want God to be proud of me. And that only happens if you are cleansed. And by the way, the cleansing process is not a one-time thing, church. Right. Sanctification, right, is, is going to be a, is a lifelong process. You will be being sanctified for the rest of your life until you pass. Or unless God comes, uh, Christ comes back for his church. It's, you have to be continually being cleansed, right? And that's why David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When's the last time you said, God, will clean me up? Will you, will you clean me up? I remember that there's a, there's a car wash place that opened down the street from our house. And what we did, y'all, was um, they offered for the first month free car washes. And I was in that joint every day. You know what I'm saying? I, our apartment is right under one of, them, one of those trees. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Where the tree has a field day on your car. My car is black and all of those imperfections are showing on it right now. But if I washed it, I'm going to wake up the next day. The cats, we got neighborhood cats. I love being on my car. Right? And all the pollen from the trees is just awful. Um, but as often as I could, I went and got that car cleaned. Is your car clean? If not, when's the last time you asked for it to be cleansed? You know why we don't ask? Because we're scared. You know why? Because the master creator is going to have to chisel some of those things off of you that's not supposed to be there. And the chiseling's going to hurt. You look good when it's done. Right? Like when you go to the masseuse and they're digging that elbow on your back. You know? It's going to hurt. But then when that knot gets out, you'll be feeling real good. I shared a story about my friend Caleb who uh, his family uh, were silversmiths and masseuses in Singapore. And one day I was an RA and he said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll come work on your back. So I'm like, all right. And so he comes in, he brings his whole set, his whole kit, his oils, all the other stuff, man. And I mean, I'm like, oh, 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 oh. I mean, to the point where like I'm sweating, like it was so painful, I'm sweating, right? So he was finally done, you know, and he got cleaned up. And then uh, I went to the restroom and I took a shower and stuff like that. I kid you not. I mean, I put my phone on the charger and my head hit the pillow and it was morning, right? I was like, that was the best sleep I ever had. It was painful in the process, but it was cleaning out all those knots that were slowing me down. And I was able to sleep well. Do you realize that when you're clean, you operate better? 
when your car doesn't have any sludge, when you finally get that oil change, you can feel like, wow, my car was really moving really slow. Like, it's a look how smooth this is, right? And that's how he wants you to be, but you have to be cleansed first. All right, number four. In whose power are you producing fruit? In whose power are you producing fruit? You're at church. You're doing children's church. You're doing the teen group. You're coming to outreach. You're driving vans. You're doing the nursery. You're cooking food. You're pastoring a church. Whose power are you doing those things in? Yours or in Christ? Because here's the truth. You probably do have enough talents to get something done. You do. You might be a a good enough orator. You might have the personality type that kids love, that they enjoy your company. The people might enjoy you being on the van because you're fun and you make the ride enjoyable. You know what I'm saying? All these different things. The kids in the nursery may love you because they're like, oh my gosh, she's here. She gives me animal crackers. Right? They may love, but that's, that's only going to be short-lived. Okay. You in, you in your... Is it number 15? Would that be a verse to what you're talking about? Verse, verse 15? 15? Yeah, it would be a good for what you're talking about now. Henceforth, I call you not servants, but yeah. for the servant... Would that be a good reference to what you're talking about now? And, and who you're producing fruit? No, what, what, like, what you're showing us now with this. Sorry, I throw you off. It's okay. Um, just saying that you can't really, you can't really do it by yourself. Um, so maybe, maybe not quite, uh, but just that's verse 15 talking about how God kind of downloads that, that information into us straight through Christ. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but um, the question here was like, in whose power are you, are you producing fruit? Now, the verse that works with that um, is the one that says, you know, you can't do anything without me. You can't produce any fruit. Uh, without me That's more of like a Verse 8 um, Verse 5 Thank you Verse 4 Right So yeah Verse, uh, verse 4 5 6 like those, That kind of section Alright But he says man who's, you, won't, you won't Bring forth real fruit By yourself you, Yeah you may be An apple tree but if you're not planted somewhere where there's good soil and good nutrients and you're getting watered well, you're not going to produce jack. You may have some apples, but they're not going to look good. It's going to be the moldy kind with some worms in it. I don't want to be that kind of fruit. That's right. Yuck. I don't want to be that. The worst thing is biting into an apple and it's brown on the inside. I'm like, uh, <laughs> trash. I will literally scoop it off my tongue. I do not play that brown fruit mess. I don't do it. Verse 5. Put a star by this one. Number five, excuse me. Number five. Number one said, what is God's position in your life? Number two, is your branch bearing fruit? Number three, has the cleaning agent cleansed you? Number four, in whose power are you producing fruit? Number five, the word of God should bring you joy. The word of God should bring you joy. He even says it here um, in the passage, man. He's like, I give you these things. These things have I spoken unto you, verse 11, that you might, that uh, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. God says all the things that I bring to you, the things that he said here in this passage, and even the things that he downloads to us on a regular basis are not meant to bring us into fear or to panic or to be, uh, you know, to trump and trembling, but it should bring you joy. That God cares about us enough to say, hey, I want you to be a part of the vine. I want you to be a part of the vineyard that I tend to. But here's what you got to do. You got to actually be a part of the vineyard. 
If you're not going to be a part of the vineyard doing your part, well, then you're dead weight, man. And if you're dead weight, I'm going to cut that off. We don't have time. We don't have time for it. Brother Billy, you coast ball. If the, if the, if the players on the, were on the court not doing what they were supposed to do, what would you do? He will bench their behind. Get out. You, I heard you say it before. You don't, you don't want to play. Go get her. You know what I'm saying? And that's but um, on a much bigger level. You don't want to play. When's the last time you actually showed up to play? Your jersey was on. Your brand, the Nikes that you only pull out of the box when it's game day. When's the last time you showed up and you actually had the energy or the look in your eyes, you know, as Kobe would have said, the Mamba mentality uh, to play? So many of us show up every day as a Christian, not ready to play. Man, you forgot your jersey at home. You had a, a large pizza before the game. You know, you weren't doing, you weren't taking the necessary steps to, to be ready. Man, you walked out of the house for the fifth day this week without any armor on. You're not ready to play. And there's only so much time, there's only so much time before you stop using that player. I have a soap that I got from an apothecary. You know, those places that have the, uh, the natural essential oils, they have the, all that stuff. It was a, it's a lava clay bar, a shampoo bar, right? I'm all like natural for hair and all this stuff, right? So um, I got this stuff and the bar was nice. I didn't want to use it all up because it was $13 for, us, for, this, for this bar, right? But it, it lasts a long time. I got it like six months ago and there's still like three or four pieces left. But to let you know, to be honest, I stopped using it. You know why? Because the bars that were left over, they weren't doing as good a job as it was when I first got it. The properties started to, I don't know, break down or whatever. It just got old and it's not, it's good that it lasts long, but it doesn't last long. You know what I'm saying? I don't want you to be like that soap from that apothecary. I want you to be able to be the stuff that lathers all the way up. You know what I'm saying? And, but you got you to come prepared. Lord, when's the last time you woke up in the morning and said, God, how would you use me today? When's the last time you said, God, show me who it is that I need to reach today? When's the last time you said, God, how can my church, can I be blessed by me today? When's the last time you went to someone else and said, hey, how can I, be able, how can I help you? There's, a, story, there's a, a show that my wife and I used to watch called New Amsterdam. Anyone ever heard of that show? New Amsterdam, and um, the doctor there, his catchphrase is this. Who knows his catchphrase? Anyone know it? He says, how can I help? How can I help? When's the last time you said, Lord, I want to contribute to the kingdom. How can I help? How can I help? But the reason why we got on all those things is because the word of the Lord should bring you joy. It shouldn't cause you fear. We're afraid to look God in the eyes when we're, when we're wrong with him. Um, it's like uh, the show that I reference all the time, The Office, right? And there's an office where they're, uh, an episode where they're having a christening for the baby, which we don't do, right? We don't baptize babies, right? But they're having a christening for the baby, and it's a guy named Toby, right? And the whole episode, you remember that episode, Brother Michael? And Toby's, he's just, he just will not go into the church. He walked in, and then he was like, okay, I got to go. He got back out. He's in the courtyard the whole episode, like, pacing because him and God are not on good terms. And so he's just being in the church is burning him up, right? And we make fun of that, but you think from the pulpit, I don't see that happen to people in those pews all the time. Mm-hmm. This past Sunday, I saw it. people sitting there squirming, uncomfortable to be in there. They look down the whole time. You see that light from the bottom flash up because their phone's cut off. You know what I'm saying? They're trying to do whatever they can to just make it through, to just make it through, to just make it through. And I know that people have life stuff that goes on that maybe can pull them out of church, but you'll find that a lot of the people that are out of church right now don't, are out of church, no, 
you know, worldwide is because they're not where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And you either confront your sin and fix it or you confront your sin and you're convicted by it and you stay that same way. But those two, you won't be able to stay that way for long. And people usually start backsliding and that fruit starts producing some bad stuff. And that's because the word of the Lord stopped bringing them joy. Even when the word convicts you, it should bring you joy. He talked about cutting those branches off, but it wasn't to make them sad. He's like, I don't want to cut, cut the branch off and throw it in the fire. I want to thrive and produce fruit. I'm just saying if it doesn't, I can't use it. What happens if you keep that brown apple in the bushel? It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess up the whole thing. Pretty soon, the rest of those, it's like a poison. The rest of those apples are going to go bad. God's like, I can't, I can't, as the husbandman, I can't destroy the whole vineyard, so I'm going to cut that branch off. We were cutting those trees down because some of those trees were dying, man. We don't need that. We're going to cut it off. We'll put something else beautiful there. And that's, what, that's the same kind of thing that applies here. So the, the question from this is, does the word make you nervous? You don't think that even as your pastor that sometimes I open my Bible knowing that I wasn't right with God for the day? That maybe my mind wasn't where I should be or maybe I didn't talk to my wife as sweetly as I should have or maybe I had a bad attitude about something and then I know like, man, I got to go read my Bible now. But what does the Bible say? If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God says, whenever you're in a place where you've messed up and you will mess up a lot. And by the way, if you ever think that you are good enough to approach the word on your best day, you're, you're wrong because you're not. It's, it's perpetually a privilege. Say that five times fast. It's, it's going to be incessantly a privilege to you. It, you and so it's not like, oh, I've got to clean myself up before I come to God. Yeah, the, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. But he says, man, you can't even clean yourself up without me. You might as well come the way that you are. Like, I'm going to have to wash him out. I thought it was soap, but it's going to be clean. You, see, you feel me? Does the word make you nervous? Number one, what is God's position in your life? Number two, is your branch bearing fruit? Number three, has the cleaning agent cleansed you? Number four, in whose power are you producing fruit? Number five, the word of God should bring you joy. And number six, and lastly, love is a verb. Love is a verb. Love is an action. God loved Jesus. And so Jesus did his commandments. Jesus loves us so that we should do his commandments. We should love each other. And keep it going. Let me ask you, man. Have you been loving today? In your dealings with the people that you dealt with today, were you loving? How do you treat your coworkers? Your boss? Your siblings? For those of y'all that had to stay home. How do you treat your spouse? Parents, how do you treat your kids? It's important to realize that the love of God is non-conditional. Upon us. Do you realize that God's love for us is non-contingent upon our position? That he loved us despite whatever condition that we were already in. We love him because he what? First loved us. He first loved us. He says, man, I, and that's how we work, man. The first thing that, that's going, I'll tell you this, church. I struggled with that just this week. About someone who did something that was really dumb and it really made me upset. And the whole time I'm like, all right, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Because the first thing that you want to do is you want to remove their love. 
someone that you hug on all the time or tell them nice things to, they mess up and you get upset with them one time and it's like no more hugs, no more I love yous, no more any of that stuff. And that's not the way that we should, do, we should be. Agape love is uncircumstantial, unchanging, unwavering, self-sacrificial kind of love, which means none of those adjectives that I gave for you about love are contingent upon the object. It's all about the person displaying that. You be unconditional. You be unwavering. You be steadfast in that, in that position. You don't change. They can change all they want. But when you decide, because love is a verb, right? It's an action, but it's a choice. When you choose to love someone, it's non-contingent upon how they are. You love someone because you love them. That's the end of the line. Pastor, where do you get that from? I mean, we got 66 book love letter that talks about all that. About how we were dirty and wretched and, and lost and dead in trespasses and sins. How our old man reigned in our mortal body. I mean, shall I keep going? Or, you get, or did you get it? So because of that, we should show and bestow love upon people. The ones that deserve it and the ones that don't. And I know it's easier said than done. But I pray that that is something that you would really work on. That you would continually show the love. I think it's like something like five times between verse 1 and 17. That he talks about loving others or, or keeping that commandment because I, because I loved Christ or because Christ loved God and all those things. Make sure, that you, make sure that you understand that love is an action and live your life loving on purpose. Not, not when someone does something nice for you because the Bible says, man, it's not love if you love someone that, I mean, I mean it is love, but it's not impressive if you love someone who loves you. It's for the unlovable. That's when it becomes important. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for your son and for sending him to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. Lord, we just want to be more like you. We want to live lives that are honoring and glorifying to you, God. We want you to have that lead position in our lives. We want to be branches that bear fruit, Lord, that you would be proud of. We want to be people who are clean and cleansed by your cleaning agent over and over and over again. We want to be people who are, are, are using the power of you, God, to produce fruit. We want to be people who, 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 who are it's completely just overwhelmed with joy by the word, even when it's convicting us, God. We want to be people who bestow the love of Christ onto others, non-contingent upon how much they love us. Again, Lord, we just want to be more like you. And in it, we'll give you the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen.